0: 93 And as you have that stand with me out of respect for God's Word and let's read this psalm together It's a psalm that glorifies a sovereign God Psalm 93 The Lord reigns he is robed in majesty the Lord is robed he has put on strength as his belt Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved Your throne is established from of old you are from everlasting the floods have lifted up O Lord the floods have lifted up their voice The floods lift up their roaring, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Amen. Please be seated as we think together about this passage of God's Word. It's a psalm that points us to the power of God. The fact that our God is greater than any opposition. As I thought about that this week, as I meditated on Psalm 93, I was reminded of a story that many of you have read by C.S. Lewis, the lion and the witch and the wardrobe. I'll throw that book if you remember, the white witch seems so powerful. Uh, By her spell, she holds all of Narnia in snow and ice, and any who oppose her, they're turned to stone. And she seems unstoppable, but then Aslan comes. And as he walks through Narnia, you see real power on display as the snow all around him begins to melt, the flowers begin to bloom, and those who'd been turned to stone, well, they are restored to life. And then as you get to the end of that book, you see kind of the final battle scene. You see just how much greater, just how much more powerful Aslan is than the White Witch because when they square off for battle, it's not a long, drawn-out struggle. Aslan simply jumps on her and kills her in a moment. Aslan, of course, is a Christ figure in the story. His defeat of the White Witch shows just how much more powerful God is than all who oppose Him and all who oppose those who belong to God. As I thought about our nations, I thought about our church this week, I was reminded that that is so important for us as the people of God to remember that our God is far more powerful than any who oppose Him and that He is able to protect all those who belong to Him. So important. Because Satan does oppose us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know that from personal experience even this week. And this fallen world is full of trouble and tumult. And we've seen a lot of trouble and tumult in recent months, haven't we? So just several months ago now, a pandemic swept the globe. We've been told by authorities over and over that our lives are at risk. We've experienced the lockdown of every nation around the world. It's an unprecedented situation in many, many ways. Life has not yet returned to normal. It is not clear when life will return to normal. And that's a scary thing, isn't it? And then just last week, you had this tragedy in Minneapolis when George Floyd, an unarmed African-American man, was murdered, it seems, from everything I've seen by police officers in who had him in custody. And as a result of that, we have had uh, protests throughout the the nation and a lot of unrest and it is a good thing to peacefully protest against the murder and mistreatment of minorities in particular by those who are in authority and yet we've also witnessed just abject mayhem in cities as evil elements have used this as an opportunity to spread violence and to push for a really an anarchist agenda that's what you're seeing and so in some ways our society seems to be unraveling almost feels like, you know, the thread's just being pulled on it in some way and the sweater's kind of coming apart. It's not clear what's going to happen next. And that's a scary thing. So what should we do? Facing this tumult, what should we do? Well, we, we should remember that it's easy for us to become afraid. We should remember kind of barring the imagery of Psalm 93 that the difficulties and trials of this life can very often feel like sweeping floods and violent waves. But we should also remember that we can do what the psalmist does in this psalm, which is to look up from the waves to the Lord who reigns over all to look to God who is sovereign so that we might rest ourselves in Him. So we're continuing the study of the book of Psalms. Last week we looked at Psalm 133. We thought together about the blessing of unity and that even in times like this, the Lord intends for us to strive to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace in this church. And I bless God because I believe He's helping us do that. This morning we're studying Psalm 93. As I studied the psalm this week, I was encouraged because... Uh, I picked this a few weeks ago, and I just feel like this is an appropriate word from the Lord for us in terms of what we are facing as a nation, as it talks about God and his authority and his power. And we need to be reminded of that. Now, in terms of the psalm itself, we we don't really know a lot about the background of Psalm 93. It's possible that King David is the author of this psalm, but that's not clear. We're not sure about that. And so, obviously, we don't know what was occurring in the life of the psalmist either when he wrote this psalm. What we do know is that it shows us God's power over all who oppose him. So, speaking of this psalm, Charles Spurgeon said, It is the psalm of omnipotent sovereignty. Jehovah, despite all opposition... Reigns supreme. So, this is a good psalm for troubled times like our own. It reminds us that God is in complete control and it helps us to live lives that are marked by trust and by holiness and by hope. And that's what God wants for us to do. He wants us to live in a Christ like way as we go through these difficulties. And we're going to see in particular when we get to verse 5 that there's this emphasis for us to have trust and holiness and hope really just characterize our lives during this season. So we study the psalm together. We're going to learn four truths that the psalm teaches us about God's sovereignty. If you're taking notes, you'll see uh, them come up on the screen, I believe. But four truths about God's sovereignty. First is that God is gloriously sovereign. Second, we're going to learn that God has always been sovereign Third, we're going to learn that all who oppose God's sovereignty will fail. And fourth, we should respond rightly to God's sovereignty. We'll cover each one of these in our time together this morning. Let's look at that first truth together then. Our God is gloriously sovereign. Take your copy of God's Word. Look at verse 1. Our God is gloriously sovereign. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. I love how the psalmist begins this psalm. Very simply, he just says, the Lord reigns. In the Hebrew, the, the Lord there is placed in a prominent position. And the idea is emphasis. The idea is that it is the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, who reigns. And no one else reigns. Our God is a king. That's something we need to remember as the people of God, that he is a king and that he is exercising a kingly authority in this universe. And he has always done so. And as we will see, he will always do so. But the psalmist tells us more about the Lord here. The psalmist tells us that the Lord is glorious. Look at what he says next. He is robed in majesty. That word majesty speaks of being lifted high. Uh, It it speaks of magnificence, and the idea is that everything that surrounds God is majestic. His presence, His throne, His heavenly court, even all of creation just kind of shines with His majesty, shines with His glory, and then we see that the Lord is strong. The psalmist says the Lord is robed. He has put on strength as His belt, and Spurgeon again said this. He says that God is always strong. But sometimes he displays his strength in a particular way, and so can be said to be clothed with strength or to put on strength in a special way. And as you read through the Old Testament, you will see times in the history of Israel, indeed in the New Testament as well, where God demonstrates his power, his strength in particular ways. So think about the Exodus as the people of Israel, they are at the Red Sea, They're cornered. Pharaoh comes with his chariots and his army. It seems that the people of Israel are going to be destroyed, but God displays his power. He splits the Red Sea so that the people can go across on dry land. And when Pharaoh tries to follow, God drowns Pharaoh's army in a moment. And that was the greatest power on earth at the time. God shows his power over the sun when Joshua fought the Amorites. So here Joshua is is exercising the authority God's given him to fight against this wicked people, and it's going to take longer, and so God tells the sun. The sun of course just kind of rules the day as it were, but God tells the sun to stand still, and it does, for about a full day until Israel could defeat their enemies. God showed his power over the lions in Daniel. If you think of the fact that that the king, you know, King Darius, he couldn't sleep at night because he assumed that after he'd thrown Daniel into the pit, that Daniel was going to be killed. But then what did God do? He sent his angel, and the angel closed the mouths of the lions and God is shown to be powerful in that way. But the greatest display, the greatest display of the power of God is that central act of redemption. It's the cross and it's the resurrection. When God defeats sin and death and hell and on that first morn, Christ comes out of the grave never to die again. And as you look through the Bible, you see over and over and over and over that our God is powerful and that he can accomplish all his holy will. Well, look at the second part of verse one. I want us to see something else. There's another effect in this verse uh, that you see uh, in light of the power of God. Because God reigns, the world is stable. Look at what he says. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Now we take the stability for on earth for granted. It's kind of stable under our feet most of the time. But if you think about what's going on as Earth travels around the sun, that's really amazing. Scientists tell us that the earth spins at roughly 1,000 miles per hour, rotating 1,000 miles per hour as it spins. And then as it travels around the sun, it's traveling at 67,000 yeah, 67, miles per hour. Those are just astronomical numbers. And yet here, as we stand here, sit here, it's stable. Why? Because God, by his power, has ordered the laws of nature so that the earth stays on course and so that it doesn't burst apart. You see, our God upholds, the entire universe by the word of his power. He is powerful. And here's an encouragement for us then. Because our God is sovereign and powerful, the world will not end until God brings it to an end. Now, if you've been paying attention in recent months, a global pandemic has swept across the entire earth and shut down nearly every country, or perhaps every country. Massive swarms of locusts have been devouring crops in East Africa and in Iran. America has been hit with about a dozen or so earthquakes of various sizes in recent months, and civil unrest has been sweeping our nation in recent days. So if the thought has occurred to you, or if you're wondering whether or not the world is about to come to an end, you're probably not the only one. But... What we see from this passage is encouragement, because what we're learning from Psalm 93 is this, that God is in complete control. And because God is in complete control, the world is established. And God is not a God who's distant, far off, unconcerned about what's going on. God is a God who is actively guiding history. He's actively guiding history to its appointed end, and it will not end until it is God's time. So it is so important for us to remember God's sovereignty in times of trouble. We live in difficult days. I think it's fair to say that these are troubled days. It's easy to be shaken as you live through difficult days like these days. But God is not missing in action. We need to remember that. He's not missing in action. He is guiding all of this. He is in complete control. He is guiding all of history to its appointed end. And until then, the world is established so we can rest and we can trust him. The second point this morning, a second truth that we want to see, God has always been sovereign. Look at verse 2. The psalmist says, Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. So look at the first part of verse 2 there. You see that God's throne, it says, has been established from of old. What does from of old mean? Well, if you look at the second part of verse 2, you see what from of old means because it's paralleled there with from everlasting, and that's the idea. In other words, the psalmist is declaring that God has always been, and because he has always been, he has always reigned sovereignly. Now, we think it's fascinating to think about kind of ancient empires. So 5,000 years ago, the Sumerian Empire ruled over much of the Middle East. 4,000 years ago, Egypt was really becoming a dominant world power at that time. And then following Egypt, you had the, the Hittite Empire and the Babylonian and the Assyrian and the Greek and the Roman empires, among others. And that's really just kind of this Western portion of world history all of those things seem fascinating. We were amazed by how old by the by the uh, the age, how far back that goes, but just think about those empires in comparison with God's kingdom. In comparison with the fact that our God has always reigned all of those empires, it's as if they were born yesterday as if they remained for a second, and then they just vanished in smoke. Our own nation is only 250 years old. We would be fools to think that it will last forever. Only God's kingdom lasts forever. But in verse 2, we see that God has always reigned. And it's important for us to know that only God has ever reigned. And here's the thing, because God does not change, only God will ever reign. And that's a comfort for us. We actually read that comfort this morning because our God does not change. No one but God will ever reign. And so we're secure. And that's what Malachi chapter three, verse six is getting at when it says, when the Lord says there, for I, the Lord do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob are not consumed. So if you find yourself this morning, worried or anxious over events in our country, The news of the Bible is that you don't have to be. God has always ruled. He is ruling now. He will reign forever. He is in complete control. And that means, brother or sister, if you belong to him, all will be well with you for all eternity, forever and ever and ever. There's a third truth. All who oppose God's sovereignty will fail Look at verses 3 and 4. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Here in verse 3, you see kind of this imagery of, of a raging flood. Of waves going here and there. There's noise, chaos, rushing water. There's commotion everywhere. It's a violent scene. And then kind of look at the way the psalmist repeats the refrain over and over. The floods are lifted up. They've lifted up their voice. They've lifted up their roaring. And it really gives this idea of flood waves kind of crashing again and again and again. What, is the, what does the flood refer to? What is the psalmist speaking about? Well, as you read through the Old Testament, you'll see over and over that when the Lord speaks of floods and crashing waters, it often refers to the assaults of violent men and to the enemies of God who are raging against God. So let me give you just a few examples of that. Listen to Psalm 124, verses 1 to 5. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us then over us would have gone the raging of the waters. Isaiah 8 gives us that same picture in verses 5 to 8. The Lord spoke to me again, because his people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently, and rejoice over Rezin and over the son of Ramaliah. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory, and it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah, and it will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. And you can see that theme over and over in the Old Testament of the of violent men and the enemies of God and the people of God just being pictured as floods, as water, as these waves. And that really is the imagery that the psalmist is using here in verse 3. It's a, it's a picture of the enemies of God and the enemies of the people of God that are causing all of this commotion, that are like violent waves that are threatening to destroy the people. Uh, There's so much out of control. There's chaos. There's confusion. It's a lot like what we see in our own day. But then look at verse 4. And look at what the psalmist does, because this is so important for us. If we're going to live boldly and confidently and without fear, which is what we're commanded to do in these days, look at what the psalmist does. He does something in verse 4 that we all have to learn to do if we're going to live well. He looks up from his trouble, he looks up from the commotion, and he looks to God. Look at verse 4. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, The Lord on high is mighty. So, all around him, the psalmist sees trouble and commotion and danger, but he doesn't fix his eyes there, does he? No, he he fixes his eyes elsewhere. He looks up and he sees God reigning over all, lifted up, majestic, reigning in power, again, in complete control. And it makes me think of Psalm chapter 2. Uh, Verses 1 to 4. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. So Christ's fellowship, when we feel like we are surrounded, when we feel like truth is being driven from the land, when we feel hopeless, we need to remember to look up to God. We need to remember to look to Him and to see Him rightless, like a mountain just kind of jutting out of the sea, surrounded by waves, surrounded by commotion, and yet the mountain is unmoved. It's strong, it's steady. Well, that's what our God is like. Our God is strong and steady. He is unmoved. He is in complete control. He is, as the psalmist says at the end of verse 4, mightier than the waves of the sea. So here's my question. How can you look up? What does that look like? What does that mean? How do you look up? Well, there's a few ways. You look up to God by reading His Word. And in particular, I'm meditating on passages like Psalm 93 or Isaiah 40, or Romans chapter eight verses 31 to 39, that tell us that our God is greater than any possible enemy, greater than anyone who can harm us or oppose us. We also look up to God in prayer. It's an appropriate thing for us to bow the knee before God in His sovereignty and to speak to Him reflecting the truth that we've been learning as we've been reading his word. Brother, sister, if you are not in God's word in these days, I just have to tell you, you're going to be storm-tossed because it is difficult out there right now. But you can spend time with God in his word, and then you can go to God in prayer, and you can pour out your heart and your praise to him. And you will see that he is steadfast and able. And here's the thing: we help others look to God when we counsel them from God's word. So so I am never more miserable as a Christian than when I'm just focused on me and what I want and whether or not I'm okay. I'm kind of taking my own spiritual pulse and my temperature and am I doing okay? Just miserable. How can I serve myself today? I'm miserable. But you know what? God has so put it in our hearts that he wants us to love him and love others, and he's so kind because he actually gives us joy when we do that. He fills us with His joy when we don't get concerned about ourselves and how we're doing and how we're going to be, but instead try to encourage others with the truth of His Word. And we have the privilege as a church, we have the privilege to do that day by day, week after week. So let some of your conversation after the service this morning be on what are you learning from God's Word about God? Uh, How is he encouraging you in these troubled times? What, what have you seen? What truth about his character have you found to be kind of a, a steadfast anchor for your soul as we've been going through these troubling times as a nation? So here's my question. Brother or sister, where are you looking this morning? Where are you looking? Are you looking at the troubles? Are you looking at the commotion? Are you staring at the waves? Are you spending hours watching the gloomy news With its perpetual drumbeat of doom. If you do, you will be afraid. But if, by faith, you look up to God, you see him reigning, well, you'll be strengthened because the king is on the throne. That's what you see in this psalm the king is on the throne. And we get to look to him. The Lord on high is mighty. Friends, all who oppose God's sovereignty will fail. A fourth truth, we should respond rightly to God's sovereignty. Look at verse 5. See how the psalmist responds here. He is beholding the Lord. How does he respond? He says, Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord. Forevermore. You look at the response of the psalmist to God, you see kind of three distinct responses that we need to make as the people of God this morning. The first response is trust, the second response is holiness, and the third response is hope. So let's look at that. The first response is trust. The psalmist says, Your decrees are trustworthy. Uh, The word decree there, it comes from a Hebrew word that speaks of statutes or commands. The idea is it's referring to God's word, and it's saying that God's word is trustworthy. God is eternal. God does not change. Therefore, His word, the word that He speaks, is trustworthy because it will not change. And so, we can trust Him. We can trust Him. So what does it look like to trust God's word? How can you tell if you're trusting God's word? Well, you know you're trusting in the Lord's decrees if you're living your life according to God's word. All of it. Uh, not just the portions of God's word that you like or not just the portions of God's word that you think are probably true. And if, you are, if you're observant, you'll find if you don't believe that all of this is true, you'll find that over time you're only going to believe the parts of it that you like are true and the rest you'll do away with. That's not trusting God's word. Trusting God's word looks like believing that this sovereign king who reigns over all, who does not change, who only speaks truth, has spoken truth about your life. And so you live according to his word. That's what trust looks like. The second response is holiness. The psalmist says, holiness befits your house. So here again, it's this picture of this exalted, majestic, glorious king. And it only makes sense that those who belong to this king should be holy as he is holy, that we would be set apart unto God. If our king is holy, we, his subjects, should also be holy. I like what what James Montgomery Boy said about this. He said, Everything associated with God is holy, from which it follows that we must be holy too. If we are not holy, how can we adorn the house of God? We cannot. We do the very opposite. We dishonor it and the God we profess to serve. If we strive to live holy lives as we must, then we honor God and prove that He is indeed ruling us as His holy people. That's the second response. Holiness set apartness to this great God. Third response is hope. Look at the very end of verse 5. Holiness befits your house forevermore that word forevermore that's where you see hope in this passage because as we kind of look at the tumult of this passing life and then we look up at this king we need to remember that he is not only reigning now but he will reign forevermore which means that he will be our king forevermore which means that we will reign with him forevermore so as believers this morning we have a glorious hope the glorious hope is that this king will reign forever. Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. Here's a great passage for you to meditate on this week if you've been struggling. Revelation 22, verses 1 to 5. This is where you, struggling brother or sister, this is where you're going to spend eternity. Then the angel showed me the river, the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the city, of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. And they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever that's the hope that we have that this glorious exalted king is going to reign forever and we by grace are going to reign with him forever and ever and ever it's that hope that will enable us by god's grace to endure the passing floods and difficulties and tumults and commotions of this life my question friend is do you have that hope As you sit here this morning, what is it that you're trusting in? Are you just kind of hoping things are going to get better? Uh, Do you find yourself without hope this morning, friend? We want you to know that, that biblical Christianity doesn't just offer kind of a nice philosophy for how to live in a nice way so that God will like you because he likes nice people. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about the good news of Jesus Christ, this God who created us in love, created us to know him to have a relationship with him so that we could just walk with him day by day. Uh, But we've all rebelled against this God. That's the problem. Friend, that's the problem I had. That's the problem you have this morning if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus. It's that you have rebelled against him. Instead of living for him, you've sought to live for yourself. And you've put yourself first. And and so you have been led to disobey God's commands. And and just like I have done, you have sinned against others in countless different ways. And the Bible says all of that is sin. And the Bible says that that is so serious because it separates us from God, who is good and who is loving, and most especially who is holy. And because God is holy and we're not holy, there's no way for us to be good enough for him. There's no way for us to deserve to sit in the presence of this glorious reigning king based on the way that we have lived because he's holy and we're not. Here's the good news, brother and sister. This holy king is a savior. And he has made a way for you this morning to have eternal hope in Christ. God the Father sent his son into the world. The eternal son of God became a man, Jesus. Jesus lived a a perfect life. Do Do you sense that, that he never gave in to fear in a sinful way? That he always, only, ever perfectly trusted his Father. That, that he didn't live for himself, but instead lay down his life for others over and over, continually, perfectly, in every way fulfilling the law of God. And why did he do that? He didn't need righteousness. We did. And so he lived the kind of life we should have lived, but we failed to live. And then he died on the cross as a sacrifice for sinners, broken people like us. On the cross, he bore in himself the wrath of God against the sins of all who will turn from their sins and trust in him. He died, but then he rose from the dead. And that's the glorious good news of Christianity is that we have a living hope. It's not a philosophy. It's a living hope. It's that this glorious king defeated death. It's that he reigns even now. And and he even now, even this morning, friend, offers you life, forgiveness, reconciliation, A relationship with him if you will turn from your sins and put your hope wholly in what jesus has done jesus will be your savior and and you will enter into this relationship with god where you can look at him as this glorious reigning king and you can find in him your all not only now but forever and ever and ever Friend, if these times show you anything, it shows you how passing and uncertain this world is. The best this world can offer you is a a few fun times, happy experiences, cheap thrills, until you get too old to enjoy living anymore. But God offers you hope and life and relationship and holiness. He offers that to you now. And it's not only for this life, but it's forever and ever and ever. And so, friend, we would urge you this morning, trust in Jesus. Look to him now by faith. Put your hope in him now by faith. And if you want to talk with someone about what that means or what that would look like, please talk with me or talk with someone sitting around you about what God has done for them. We would love to talk to you this morning about this glorious Savior, this exalted King seated on the throne. Brothers and sisters, as we look at this psalm this morning, we've learned about God's sovereignty. We've learned that our God is gloriously sovereign, that he's always been sovereign, that all who oppose his sovereignty will fail, and that we should respond to the sovereignty of God with trust and with holiness and with hope. And that's helpful. That's helpful for troubled times like ours because we have something solid and real. The world seems shaken, but God is unmoved. The floodwaters threaten, but God is mightier than the floods. And we can look to him and receive fresh grace from him. May he do that in us. May he help us to live lives that are marked by trust and holiness and hope, even in this coming week. Let's, let's pray.